On today's show, our guest is Chef Stefan Borgond of Paragon Seattle on Queen Anne. There are lots of things happening, like longtime restaurant up for sale, a new garden patio at a nice winery, reopenings and new openings. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hello everyone, this is Wayne Johnson from Fair Start. I am here to welcome you to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live from the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the June 2021 Seattle Dining Show number 2106. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining. Marco. Polo. Marco. Oh, sorry. Get out of the pool. <laughs> it's, wow. it's, it's late spring. I'm back in the pool. <laughs> you know, kids, you tell them it's time to get to work and they're out in the pool. Well, speaking of getting back to work, we've talked before about it being hard for restaurants to find staff, hotels, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to discuss it. Like, will this sort of resolve, this is an opinion piece, will this resolve itself as unemployment compensation ends, or is this an exodus of industry folks? So an example I'm, I'm going to give is that I talked to a guy who in his youth was a cook, um, as an adult, he sold meat to restaurants. But both his kids went into the restaurant industry. And when the pandemic hit, he said, I'll tell you the one good thing to come out of this is that both my kids are out of the industry. Yeah, so, I think it's a combination of everything. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. I saw a, a restaurant that had a COVID-19 outbreak among the staff, and uh, half the staff isn't coming back to the industry they're they're gone. Wow. So um uh you've got to see that happen and yeah as uh, unemployment compensation goes away people are going to need to get back yeah. to work so yeah. I I was thinking about this because there's always this kind of like uh group of industry professionals and these are people who've who've made this their life, their life's work. It's not a like I I'm working to get through college. Most of them did, you know, and then stayed in the business. Um, and I'm wondering if, if uh, you know, this could be the start of a whole new group of industry professionals, people who come in because they really want to, not because they have to, you know, not, you know, didn't leave because they were tired of it. I, I think it's, it's kind of um, refreshing, mm-hmm. actually, you know, getting new people in there. And- yeah. And in some cases, some of the people that are gone were kind of a pain in the butt anyways. And, mm-hmm. and so you're going to have somebody new in there that might be a little easier to work with. More or, excited to be there. So. Or a better server for the customer. Yeah. And yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, having uh, lost your way of earning money for a year or more, uh, the people who do come back will probably be happier to be there, I hope, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, it's a lot better than having no money at all. Yeah, and then I've I've seen where uh, one couple we knew went off and started their own uh, canning business, mm-hmm. and they were making all kinds of canned meals, you know, jars and yeah. all that. So uh, it, 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 yeah. it's uh, it's created some interesting situations. Yeah, yeah, it will be interesting. The other thing that's going on is that um, the city. Well, the city, I don't, I don't actually know. Is it the city or the state has said that curbside alley street dining has been extended to May 2022? It's probably the county or the city. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Yeah, I didn't either. But what do you think about that? I'm happy about it. Well, I think there's a lot of rats that are not happy about it. But um, I don't know. Maybe they're happy about it because they get table scraps out on the, right on the sidewalk. <laughs> don't have to go dig for it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you've gone right to the heart of the discussion. Oh, I really gave this a lot of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concerned about the city rats. I, I personally wasn't endeared to the whole curbside dining thing, or as as someone in the industry put it, the gutter side <laughs> dining. Uh, I wasn't ever crazy about it. It wasn't something I, I didn't want to go sit under a heat lamp and when it's 35 degrees outside. Yeah. And, and then, like, you know, yesterday the wind was blowing. And, yeah. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, like, I'm happy about it right now. I was happy to hear that because for so many people, there's a lot of things to make up for. I mean, people are in debt because they almost lost their business. You know, they got to build up. That gives you oh, more yeah, so volume. Oh, yeah, so a little more. More volume. Yeah. Of course, you have to have the staff in order to serve the customer, you know, the, the extra customers. Yeah. So, but but I also think I'm happy about it right now because it's going into summer, and it would be fun to eat outside. Seattleites like to eat outside. It's just that we can't do it except for about two and a half months a year. So um, we, we did it. We just did it for, for a year. fourteen months. So yeah, but we can but do it. Not in a fun way. I don't personally. I, see, I don't think it's fun. Yeah. I don't like to eat wearing a jacket. And my son, he doesn't want to eat outside because his big complaint is his food gets cold fast. And he lives in Southern California. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of eating out. Gonna, you know what I'm going to get him for Christmas? Uh-uh. I'm going to get him some heated plates. <laughs> put it in the oven just before I go over his yeah. house for Christmas so they're warm when I get there. You need to get uh, plate warmers that are like uh, fabric. And you stick the plate in him and plug it in, and then he could just have yeah, a, a warm plate at all times. Yeah, a USB port on the outside yeah. of it. I'm pretty sure that exists, but if it, it doesn't, does, yeah. I want to have that trademarked. I used to have a, a little uh, tray that I could set my coffee mug on yeah, and would turn would on, on and heat up my coffee mug. Yeah, yeah. You weren't a brat. Then or I burned the office down. <laughs> a story I had not heard before. <laughs> oh, my eagle eye! Now I'm watching him. Well, speaking of eating out, where have we been eating out? Well, we got uh, some mean sandwich, which you picked up and brought home. This is uh, what? Where are they at? They're on Capitol Hill? No, they're on Ballard. Just uh, Ballard. Okay. Kind of, kind of before you get in, you turn off, you go left off 15th. and Okay. And, uh, it's just right there under the Ballard Bridge. 
just past the Ballard Bridge. Oh, okay. So like a Leary Way? Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, it was a pretty good sandwich. They, they brine the chicken before they do anything else with it. And uh, the sauce was good. It was a pickled Calabrian chili mayo. Yeah. What did you think of the, they call them their, not ins and outs. Is that where I get a t-shirt that says I got calabred at mean sandwich? <laughs> no, but they, they're going to be making those now. No, they had their potato skins. I've forgotten what they call them. They're like salt and pepper skins. And they're just like mojos is what they yeah. were like. You know, kind of like yeah. a quartered the potato and hauled out the middle of it. Yeah. Isn't that like a mojo? I don't know. I'm not up on potato terms. Well, except a mojo, they don't haul the potato out. I don't think they mojo just, is the word. It's a... A mojo potato. Yeah, you, you just basically, you, you, it's kind of cut the bottom of a potato off and run an apple quarter over it, I think. Hmm. I do not well, know. Well, I know. I just make the stuff up. I think you do make it up. That's why I'm questioning. Yeah. All right. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, the other place, uh, another place we ate at recently is the new location of Matador over in Ballard, down the street from the old location. Uh, you had the Mai Mai. I did. I had the enchiladas. And uh, the food's always good. I like their food. The guacamole is always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the happy hour is good. What is it, $6 for a large nacho yeah, to have the, the nacho grande now. yeah, yeah I, it looks that. to me like they don't do any drinks on happy hour oh. but their food is at a couple different price points and mm-hmm. and most of it i think the highest is like six so okay. and it's good food you know it's good stuff i've also been on the hunt for a good pastrami sandwich mm. uh during the pandemic i don't know what happened but roxy's deli has not been getting the same quality pastrami that they used to get. Yeah. Uh, the place that, to me, had the best pastrami was out on the east side, but they're gone now. The deli out there in Factoria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. gone. Um, Goldberg's. Yeah. Yeah, Goldberg's. And then there's uh, Schmaltzy's down on Leary. And uh, I, I haven't been there since the pandemic, so I don't know what's going on. I have been over to Valhalla, and uh, they make their just, you know, the thing about Valhalla, they make a lot of different types of sandwiches. So really what you want to do if you go there is go in, look at the menu real close and decide what you want to take out of whatever the sandwiches you want and what you want them to add in that they put in something else. Mm. And you make it your own. So that's yeah. kind of what I did was I, I had to make me a pastrami with grilled onions and uh, pickles mm. and, uh, and their red sauce. And then, lo and behold, you got a pastrami from Homegrown, mm-hmm. and that's exactly how they make their pastrami. Yes. No sauerkraut, none of that stuff in there. And uh, so far, I'd say the Homegrown is probably the best pastrami. It was, it was the leanest, but the most flavorful. Yeah. I've, I've had it a number of times uh, starting a number of years ago, and I went in and was trying to decide, and the person said, you know, my favorite thing on the menu is the pastrami sandwich and i thought you know i'll go with that i'm not really a, a big pastrami person but we'll see and now i am a pastrami person because i i think they do a really good sandwich yeah yeah so uh we did a little road trip over to wenatchee we stopped off and had lunch with a friend of ours at the squirrel tree in cole's corner 
which is on your way to Leavenworth on Highway 2. And it was sort of okay food. I didn't think it was anything fantastic. I didn't. I liked the place more than I liked the food, I think. And actually, I had a French dip, and I really did enjoy it. But it was a throwback. It was like something you got that I would have gotten when I was 15 someplace, you know. Hmm. It it wasn't... Um, was it shaved uh, prime rib or was it chopped? Oh, no, shaved. It was slices, okay. you know, thinly sliced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cheese was really gooey. It was like Swiss. In fact, it didn't come with cheese, and I asked for Swiss cheese. Mm-hmm. And it was really nicely melty and really soft bread. So it was kind of a throwback sandwich. It, probably not all that good for me, but it, uh, it was fun. You know, I enjoyed it. All so, right. And so. then... Uh, I had been looking at this place called Chef King down on 85th near Greenwood. And you dipped your toe in the water and went and ate there. Yeah, well, I brought it home. I got some Dan Dan noodles because I've never had them. So I thought, I'll try those. And then I got some pan-fried dumplings. Um, I won't say I was overwhelmed. And at first I thought the flavors, the sauces, didn't quite strike me right. And then I had the leftovers the next day. And I enjoyed it much more. So I think it had time to meld and mm-hmm. get together. So while I wasn't overwhelmed, I would like to go back and try an actual uh, uh, kind of like a dinner dish. I'd like to get a chicken dish um, or a, one of the beef dishes. You know, they had vegetables chopped up in things. And so I'd like to try one of those sort of real dinner dishes. Yeah. And see what uh, I think. I'm there. not planning on going. So. Oh, Interesting. They said they were Szechuan, and the only thing they had that was Szechuan with a Szechuan sauce on the menu was the beef. You know... And I want a Szechuan chicken with peanuts. Yeah. And I bet I could get them to make it for me, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't... I don't it, 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 you're not having the greatest experience, so I'm just going to kind of let yeah. it go. Well, I'll go over sometime and, and get a dish and then see what I think from there. Um, the other day for lunch, I felt like having a burger... And I wanted to try something new. So I went to 206 Burger. I believe they have three places, and, and one of them's on in Fremont, on the uh, down by UPS. Kind of down by UPS, or SPU, Seattle Pacific. Other side so of Queen Anne. It's on the Ann. other side. Of, it's on the north side of Queen Anne. Right. But right. some people try to call that Fremont. Yeah. Yeah. It's pre-Fremont or something. It's post. It, 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 the, it, it, it's the other side of the moat. from Fremont. (laughs) Um, And I had kind of a mixed thing there, too. I decided if I was going to try something new, I had to try their onion rings, and then I got a blue cheese and bacon burger. I thought the burger was actually pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. The onion rings were not good. They were doughy. Mm. And, and of course, I brought them home, so they'd cooled off a little bit, so that didn't help. Mm. Um, They didn't taste bad. I just didn't care for the texture and thought it was a little too much breading. Hmm. So the other weird thing is that I did not, I mean, I, I actually used my GPS despite the fact that I was a mile from home. And um, I finally just, it said I was there, but I didn't know what. And so I just turned into a parking lot so that I could turn around and go back again. And it turned out that's where it was. Um, there's no sign up yet. It must be really new to the neighborhood. Hmm. They had an open sign in the window and there were a couple guys standing outside talking and they were standing in front of the only sign. Hmm. But there was nothing on the building that I saw. So if you're looking for that, you probably won't Get see it. Get your GPS out. Yeah. 
Then <laughs> I had dinner at Mezzanote in Georgetown. This is the place that is next door to Ciudad, and it was the Ciudad bar for a long time, and they were doing rotisserie chicken out of it. Mm-hmm. And then Marcus, the owner, decided he wanted to do an Italian place, so he got a chef, and he's and we uh, a friend and I went down and had an early dinner there, and they had a barat. They have, what they have is two parts of the menu. They've got kind of a starter, shareable thing, and then they've got pastas. So we got the burrata, and it was incredibly good. Mm. It was a lovely bit of burrata. Then it, they had snipped off like inch-long pieces of asparagus, green garlic, pistachio, crumbled egg yolk. Huh. It was just really good. The pastas, we had we each got a pasta, and I got what I will probably mispronounce because I said it wrong every time that night. I think it's tajarin, T-A-J-A-R-I-N. And it was very simple. It was a sage butter and Parmigiano Reggiano on like a, almost like angel hair, very thin. Uh-huh. And it was lovely, but it's one of those things that I think I could make at home, you know? Yeah. And so. Sounds like it. So the other one was a they called a rye spaghetti. I'm assuming that's because the spaghetti was made from rye. I don't know. It had braised duck and anchovy sugo. And I have to look up sugo. I have to look it up every time. Um, and to be honest with you, I liked it almost a little bit more than mine. Of course, it was a lot heavier. Um, but I wasn't overwhelmed with it. So it was kind of an interesting thing. And, and right now, you know, you're just eating outside on the gravel they they have a very small area inside that they they weren't seating. This was a couple of weeks ago, and they still weren't seating in there. Hmm. So um, I don't know. I I think another one that I would go back to and try again, mm-hmm. but but not overwhelmed. I think I might just stay on the uh, shareables um, menu because there was like five or six things there, and at least four of them I would have liked to try. Oh, the shareable. I thought you said terrible when you said that <laughs> yeah. before. They have a terrible section and a pasta section. <laughs> <laughs> They're realistic about their food. All right. But, all right. Uh, cooking at home. Yeah. So um, uh, I, 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 I'll go first. Okay. Um, I, for Memorial Day, I'm going to make a uh, pork shoulder in the uh, oven. Because my little barbecue grill, I think I've mentioned I've done this on the show before, but my little barbecue grill is hard to control and keep it under 200 degrees, and I want to do a six-hour roast on it. So I'm going to do it in the oven. I'm going to take uh, some soaked wood chips and put them in the oven, and uh, I know my house is going to smell good. The whole building is going to smell. I'm going to have a fan on for six hours. I know that. Yeah. But uh, looking forward to doing that. So that's, you know who's going to be happy. I haven't really been cooking much at home otherwise. Yeah. Oh yeah, a little cat. Huh? Taylor's going to be happy. happy. Yeah. He'll be happy. Mm-hmm. So we'll hey, have to can you smoke my canned mackerel like that. <laughs> can you make it taste like pulled pork? <laughs> You'll uh, have to update us next month. Yeah. About how that came out. Um, I made a couple of things. I made a marsala beef from a cookbook. And I think that you liked it better than I did. I think I am a marsala chicken person. Mm. It's a different, you know, the beef makes it much deeper. 
uh-huh. and darker. And I think that I like the light, the lighter taste and texture of the chicken, but it was not bad at all. Yeah. But you seem to really like it. And then I made a shrimp and wilted spinach salad, which I enjoyed quite a bit, except that I decided to take the easy way out and I bought pre-cooked shrimp. Yeah. And I bought them at the PCC fish counter. You know, I wasn't buying cheapy stuff, but um, it just, I would have, I think it would have been much better had I like brined the shrimp and cooked them, you know, with some wine and stuff like that and then put them on the salad. But the wilted spinach part, I really did enjoy. Mm-hmm. Then, as we talked about last month, we had gone on our Oregon culinary journey. Mm-hmm. And one place that we stopped had a bacon guacamole. That was at Del Lama. Yes. In Corvallis. And I decided that I could make bacon guacamole, but I, they put chipotles in it and ground hazelnut. seemed like way too much work to me. And the bacon was kind of near raw. It was house-cured. Chewy. And they did it in chunks. Yeah. So we felt that it overwhelmed. So I just took our normal organic bacon. It's fairly thinly sliced. Mm-hmm. And did two or three pieces and then crumbled it up in our normal guacamole recipe. And it, it was good. It was good. I, I have to say, I think I'm a bit of a purist. You have a very simple, delicious recipe for guacamole. I don't yeah. think I need bacon in it. I, I can eat bacon 24 hours a day, so I don't have to have it in my guac. Mama Lozano's guacamole. Mama Lozano's? Yeah. Is that who you got the recipe from? That's where it's from. Oh. Mama Lozano. Pasadena? Sierra Madre. Sierra Madre? Sierra Madre. I've never heard this yeah. before. Avocado, garlic, a little bit of shallot, a little bit of lemon juice, salt and pepper. Bingo. Bingo. Mm, I always use lime juice. No tomato, no chili powder, no cumin, none of that stuff. Just pure green goodness. Mm, It is. I also made some beef enchiladas, and I thought those turned out pretty well. Uh Uh-oh, there's silence on the other microphone. Beef enchiladas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you took some home and had them. Oh, Oh, no, we had them for lunch the next day when you were here. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, they were good. Yeah. They were good. So that, that was actually a pretty uh, productive month for me. All right. Now, I know you got some wines you want to talk about, but we got a short calendar, so let's do this. We'll take a break right now, and we'll come back, and we'll do the wines and the calendar. Sounds good. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Petra Mediterranean Bistro. Take a journey to Greece, Lebanon, Jordan, and the North Shore of Africa by way of Belltown as you dine in a welcoming atmosphere and experience the hospitality the Chef Call provides. Need a quick bite? Drop into the attached cafe or shop for authentic flavors in their adjoining store. Visit PetraBistro.com for more information. Hi, my name's Alan. I live on Lower Queen Anne, and some of my favorite restaurants are Canlis and Toulouse Petite. This is Josh from LaCoin, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Back on the Seattle Dining Show, you got Tom, the publisher, Connie, the front of the house, senior editor, and all that good stuff. 
And uh, we did get through some of the restaurants we went to. We got through some of the meals and made it home. Now we're going to talk a little bit about some of the wines we've experienced recently. We've had um, some more expensive wines this month. We've well, Actually, I don't think you've had them. Sorry. Oh, um, you drank them all before I could get yeah, them? Yeah. Well, we, I had some friends over, and you weren't here. Uh, so they brought um, a Pepperbridge 2018 Merlot Walla Walla Estate Vineyards wine, and it was so good. Mm. It's also about $55 a bottle. Yeah. So, of course, I loved it. It was yeah, delicious. Yeah. Um, then for that same dinner, I was making a chicken marsala. So I was looking for a sort of a hefty Chardonnay, and I bought a $20 bottle of Domaine du Pueble Père et Fille Beaujolais Blanc. Um, you, had it, you had a little taste of it the next day, and you said it was kind of light and fruity. I thought it was pretty mild, not oaky, and kind of refreshing. And my neighbor called it quaffable, quite quaffable, <laughs> <laughs> which I loved. So it, it did not meet my standard of what I was trying to go for. It was not a... a a bulkier Chardonnay, but it was quite nice. I did like it. Then uh, I got an expedition by Canoe Ridge. It was eight ninety nine or nine ninety nine. You thought it was drinkable, although you said it had a lacquer flavor, which does not sound good to me. Oh, it was like a heavy duty oaky, mm. almost to the point of lacquer. Interesting. It was a red, right? The expedition. I didn't write down what it was. It's a, it was a blend of some kind, obviously. I don't know. I don't know. I felt it was really hard to pin down. It had a little bit of an edge. I wasn't crazy about it. On the other hand, I bought a 2019 Malbec Kirkland brand from Costco. A lot of berry. It was pretty dry. I liked it. Six ninety nine. Yeah, I liked that. Uh, that that one to me is a winner because as long as they're carrying it. You can, you know, get it consistently. It's not going to knock your socks off. It's not the best one you've ever had. It's no uh, Pepper Bridge 2018. <laughs> but, um, you know, for six ninety nine, it is a very great... No Leonetti, huh? Yeah. No, it was good. I had some of that. Yeah. I liked it. It was good. And you, that's another one, I think, that you had the day after, and it was still good. Go ahead and buy a case yeah. of that. Yeah. That wouldn't be bad. All right. We're going to go on to News Bites or Calendar. What did you want to do first? Uh, news Bite. Oh, yeah. I said uh, calendar, calendar before, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, let's do the calendar then. Okay. I don't, want to, I don't want anybody getting mad at us. Yeah, because we're out of control. Nice. <laughs> All right. You can start off. Uh, the Pike Place Market Street Festival happening on June 2nd, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And June 3rd, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. There will be live music, chef demonstrations, wine and beer garden, and pigs on parade. you got to love the pigs on parade. So it sounds like we're, we're climbing out of a pandemic here. Yeah. You know, I'm assuming that it's not going to be nearly as big as it usually is, but it's really nice to see that they're doing these things again. And make sure you socially distance from those pigs at least six feet. Yes. It's really because the pigs have requested that. So on June 3rd, it's opening day for the Queen Anne Farmer's Market, which is very exciting. You'll hear about that later in the show, too. Is that, a, is that like a Saturday? It's Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. So they're having this Pike Place Street Festival on Wednesday and Thursday. Probably a way to keep things under control. I guess so. 
maybe keep the a, turnout down. Yeah, and probably the weekends are starting to pick up at the market, so uh, they probably were just thinking, let that roll and we'll do this. Uh, and then on uh, June 11th at Simiamu, the Abeja Wine Dinner, going to happen at 6.30. That's in Blaine, Washington. Uh, $150 per person plus tax and fees. Not grab, fees. No, fees. Uh, five courses paired with wine. Stretch your palate menu is not shared until you arrive. We've been talking about these. They're doing one every yeah. every month, I think. Yeah. So either call ahead and tell them you have certain food allergies, and they'll tell you whether you should drop $150 with them or not that night. Uh, features local partners for produce, protein, and beyond. The other thing that's coming back are some beer festivals. So the Washington Brewers Festival is June 16th and 17th, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. at St. Edward's State Park. That's in Kenmore. That's where the new hotel has gone in. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be music, and I think this is hilarious for a Brewers Festival, kids' activities. Yeah. Um, tastes from a selection of more than 150 Washington State craft beers. It's $15 advance, $20 at door and it includes six tastes ages 21 and under are free with a parent that must be ages tw- under 21 yeah yeah because you can't do 21, 21 you could drink in free no 20 and under i think is what they probably really meant and then um at the door only if you're the designated driver it's eight dollars to get in so you will not be getting six taste. Yes. Just so you understand. Even if you <laughs> are going to drive and you thought you could taste, you're not going to. You're not going to. Uh, the Taste of Tacoma returns uh, June 29th through July 1st, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. on the 29th. And then on July 1st, going to go 8 p.m. Uh, going to go 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, it's going to feature regional restaurants, beer and wine gardens, outdoor entertainment sta- stages. It's free admission, and it's being held at the Point Defiance Park. Oh, it's so nice to see these things coming back. But I'm sure you've got to buy some tickets to do the taste, right? I-, I think you have to buy everything you're eating because free admission. Yeah. So, yeah. And maybe you're buying drink tickets, too. Yeah. And that, the bite of Seattle was always like that, too. You know, mm-hmm. you, you could go in free, but you had to buy whatever you wanted to eat. It's the same as Disneyland. You know, you did an A ticket, B ticket. <laughs> Except you pay your half of your year's salary to get in. And then you, then you pay for the food as well. Like when I was a kid, it was like $80 for me to go to Disneyland. Now it must be like 300 Oh, it's so expensive. Wow. It's so expensive. Well, either have, you take your kids to Disneyland or have a 401k. The choice is yours. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you don't want to start them on it. Once they go, they want to go back, and then uh, you're, you're in we've trouble. We've seen that with a particular grandson of mine, yeah. <laughs> well, the Seattle International Beer Fest is coming back July 20, June 29th to July 1st, noon to 10 p.m., and then on the 7th it closes at 7 p.m. They'll have nearly 130 beers from around the world, and they're specializing in rare and hard-to-find beers. This is happening at the Mural Amphitheater at the Seattle Center, and it is a $20 admission price. So all these things are happening outside. Yeah, certainly. In a town where it rains all the time. <laughs> they have it. Yeah, and it's June and July. See, it's not, none of these are happening before July 4th, which is kind of the 
turning point weather-wise here. So, yeah. That's it for the calendar. It was a little slow, which I, it really bounced back last month and this month. You know, I didn't see one thing come out about Father's Day, which is interesting. Well, maybe we just forgot about Father's Day. Well, a couple people said they were doing stuff at their restaurant, like they'd have a special for the weekend or something, but there weren't any events or anything. Maybe since the birth rate is dropping, there's no more fathers. Oh, that's what it is. Mm. That's what it is. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take a little break, and then we'll come back, and we'll do the news bites. This is JP. I'm from Lake City, and one of my favorite places to eat is Cafe Lago. Just a reminder to all our listeners, all the foodies, all the people who like to support the Pike Place Market Foundation. Cooking with Class will be held this year on Thursday, September 9th. The location will be announced at a later time, but we just wanted you to know the date this year so you mark your calendar. Uh, We will have multiple chefs again this year. And uh, it's always a lot of fun. So one more time on that. Thursday, September 9th for Cooking with Class. Mark your calendar. Hi, this is Laura from Kestrel Winery in Woodinville in the Warehouse District, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Back on the Seattle Dining Show, I'm Tom Barron, the head accountant, <laughs> and I'm here with Connie Adams. The head spender. The head wordmeister. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get into our news bites and tell you what's going on around the Puget Sound and the world of food. All right. Well, um, Novelty Hill and Janik, the winery out in Woodenville is adding a garden patio and a cellar room that will be complete this summer. So we're darn close to that. 6,700-square-foot garden with fire pit, stone garden, tree-lined plaza, casual seating, shaded canopy. Um, And they're saying that you can look for more personalized guest experiences, including seated wine tastings, food and wine pairings, intimate weddings, and meetings. I always thought they had a pretty impressive place. Anyway, they had you know a bocce. They were one of the first to put bocce ball courts in, and yeah, I remember they had a, a fairly large interior uh-huh. seating area. Yeah, and they so were doing is, dinners is this out behind there. Behind where the where everything is that I see from the street. They, oh. I did see a map of the area, but you know how I read maps, so I can't really tell you. Yeah, you probably need a GPS to to get to the back of the building. Yeah, and I'd be like, is it the back or is it the front? Is it west? Is it south? I can't tell you. I don't know. So, um, but I do think it's going to be a lovely place because the other, the way it was, I thought was great. They're just really adding a big uh, outdoor area and then some more cellar room. Um, This probably isn't any big surprise, but the Lock Spot Cafe in Ballard, which is nearly 100 years old, is on the market. Who wants to buy it? Who wants to buy the lock spot? You know, it's a it's another icon. I hope somebody does. The woman who's been running it has been there twenty years or so, mm-hmm. so she's she's been very consistent. I hope somebody buys it. I, it's sort of a, and I say this having never done it myself, but it seems like 
it's an outdoor family thing. You go, you have your fish and chips, you go to the watch the locks and watch the boats go in and out, go over and look at the fish ladder. It seems all of a piece to me. I hate to see it go. Well, I was never crazy about the food there, I'll tell you yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Cisco and U.S. foods are, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, Rogue Spirits in Oregon has done a bunch of award-winning again. They got a double gold for their Rolling Thunder Stouted Whiskey, and this is the second time in three years they've got this gold, the double gold. They got a silver for Dead Guy Whiskey and Farmhouse Gin. This was all at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, competition which is one of the big ones. It's, hmm. you know, very an esteemed Do they put their Dead Guy Ale in their Dead Guy Whiskey? Is, is that mm. how they make that? Huh. That's why it's a double gold. Or maybe mm-hmm. they just use the spent barley from the Dead Guy Ale. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I want to know why there's so many Dead Guy stuff. Uh, you know, they're into that. Yeah, you know, they've got their little. I don't know if it's still there. But they got a little restaurant out there in Issaquah. Oh yeah, I think uh, they're out in Newport, Oregon. Yeah, they got a restaurant down there too. Mm-hmm. They got the ale house down there. Maybe they should buy the lock spot. Hey, there you go. They could. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> I don't know this wine critic Jeb Dunnock, but I've seen his name pop up. All his uh, awards came out. This week, so Delil had something, and I happened to notice the Upchurch Vineyards. He gave their Cab Sav a 95 plus, the counterpart a 94, the Southwest Facing Sauvignon Blanc a 91, and the LTL Rosé a 93. So they they kind of swept. Mm. That was kind of exciting. Mm. And then the Harvest Vine has now reopened indoor dining. They're, they did that on May 12th. Their staff is fully vaccinated, and they've added a. I think it's a temporary area, a new dining area, which will be at 25%, but only for vaccinated guests. There you go. So you have to take your card with you. Yeah. And as, as we discussed before, the uh, people are saying, just take a picture of it. Eric Rivera is going to require that at his restaurant. Is he? At O. And, uh, yeah, and I, I don't blame him. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me, and I don't blame him. Yeah. And then maybe someone will advertise that their restaurant will take any unvaccinated person and you can go there and have a real party. <laughs> and go home and rest. <laughs> um, Hotel 1000 downtown Seattle is changing hands as of the 3rd. It will no longer be a Lowe's hotel. It's going to be part of the Hilton's LXR, which I'm sure means something about luxury. So it, it's going from Lowe's to Hilton's and it's not stopping off at Home Depot in between. There you have it. There you have it. That was a joke. I don't. I, I'm, you I'm know looking. Lowe's hardware. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, Lowe's. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> Maps and home improvement. Don't know. Goes over my head. All right. Tint Cellars has started their summer music series that started on May 27th. It runs through September 3rd, and it's only Thursdays in Georgetown and Fridays in Woodenville, six to eight p.m. So, again, really nice to see music coming back. I wonder if they'll do, like, uh, you know, hire an artist for two nights and just tell them, you know, hey, can oh. you do the Thursday night here and the, and the Friday night there? That'd be nice, you know, if they did that every week. Yeah, could be. For some reason, I remember looking at it, and they had a picture of a woman and a picture of a guy. So okay. I, I think they were doing different oh, things. Okay. But 
it doesn't mean that necessarily. It could just have been their first two w- that were coming up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I do not know. So Volunteer Park Cafe has been sold. It's now Volunteer Cafe and Pantry. Probably Volunteer Park Cafe. I left that out. Um, the new owner is James DeSarno, who's an architect and a winemaker. He hired Melissa Johnson to run it. She, has, uh, she had a tiny bakery someplace outside New York or in, in New York um, and was an expediter for Canlis. What does an expediter do? They're the ones who are making sure that everything that's coming out of the kitchen is together and going to the table. Okay. Um, and then another, she, she knew a colleague from Canlis, Crystal Chu, who was the former executive pastry chef at Canlis. So she's come on board. So they're doing breakfast and lunch, sweets and bread. They're looking to open in June. So yeah. it's going to be, you know, kind of similar, although Volunteer Park was doing meals, you know, and dinner. Well, Volunteer Park originally started as a, a restaurant and a market. Well, yeah, it was originally you know, a market. And then Ages it became ago. a restaurant and a market, and now it's going to be a restaurant and a market again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that the uh, neighborhood's happy about that. Yeah, because it was what, it was written into the, I don't know, there, there was something that said it had to be a market and a restaurant, yeah. whoever was in it. so Yeah. But that sort of the market thing sort of went away for a while. Now mm-hmm. it's back. Which I think is fine. I think it's a good thing. All right, this one is good news for me. I am always looking for Chinese food. And there's a new place called Fantang Cafe in Kirkland's Houghton, Houghton neighborhood. The owners are Sheng Zhao and Ling Lu, and Ling is also the chef. It's a Hunan-inspired restaurant. It's family recipes. Ling's family owned a restaurant in Hunan, um, and her parents and grandparents taught her to cook. It's opening June 8th for dinner. They're adding lunch on June 15th, and I have an re- um, interview scheduled with them. So you'll be seeing more about that in the July issue. Huh. First time I had Hunan food, I ate the red chili peppers. Uh-oh. Oh, boy, was I hot-headed after you that. You were sorry. I was thinking that you might be excited about this because you've been saying, and you said just earlier today, I want Szechuan. So they're going to have some Szechuan dishes. Oh, okay, good. So we'll see how that comes out. Um, the Beach Cafe at Woodmark Hotel is reopening for dinner five nights a week. I think they're open now. Um, and Sunday brunch. And it's Chef Brian Doherty. And ironically, I realized after I was looking at his name and everything that he was a chef at Cooking with Class in 2018. Hmm. Gavin Stevenson had um, volunteered him, and that was when the SLS hotel thing was happening, and then it never happened. Oh, that SLS, is that that funky-looking hotel downtown? Yeah, that's now open as something else. I can't remember. Oh, it's the, uh, the one I can't pronounce that I kept saying wrong. We had Amanda on top. I thought about they the should have just program. made it a homeless shelter. <laughs> Plenty of room. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, with these guys, you know, so often restaurants will say while they're opening, there's no restaurant, no reservations. You just have to walk in. Uh Take your chances. These guys are reservation only at the beach cafe. Oh. Yeah. Probably take your credit card on the front end, too. Oh, potentially, yeah. Um, Ivor's Salmon House has now reopened, and Acres of Clams will open on June 21st. Remember, they just fairly early on shut, shut down, it all the, down the restaurants. They kept the seafood bars open yeah. for takeout, but uh, that was it. So that's nice that that's coming back. And then I cannot believe 
I didn't get invited. I've gone down to the airport for all the media openings, and nobody invited me this time. Maybe they didn't have a media opening. They said they did. Oh. But my name wasn't mentioned. Anyway, enough whining. Uh, it's the North Satellite at the airport is fully open at the end of June, and there's going to be a P.F. Chang's, Beecher's Cheese, I think this is hilarious, Tundra Taqueria. Those two words, other than the T's, don't go together for me. Yeah. And the all-caps SEA Roast Coffee House. So it's also uh, similar to the um, main concourse that the, the windows are like 45 feet high. Uh-huh. So it's another really opening. That North North uh, Satellite was pretty um, low-ceilinged and everything. It's going to be wide open now. I think it'll be very nice. Huh. That should be interesting. I've I spent... Way too many hours in the North Satellite. Yeah, it'll. You probably still will. I think they're still de-icing the wings on my flight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're going to be out there in about two weeks. So. Oh yeah. We'll see what it's like. Um, neighborhood grills are doing a ghost kitchen called Henny's Chicken and Bun. It's fresh, organic chicken breasts that are hand breaded and fried with a potato bun. They do have vegan and grilled chicken subti- substitutes. And they're going to do it daily starting at 11 a.m. At, at all three locations. So it's like stuff their teams have put together in the kitchen. It's not on the, on the menu of the grills. You can have it delivered or you can, you know, place your order and pick it up. Huh. So it's kind of just something they're trying out, which is interesting. Huh. Then this is kind of the big one for me. Seattle Hospitality Group has purchased a stake in Pike Brewing Company. They are. Uh, they also have a stake in Ethan Stoll Restaurants, and Ethan Stoll is now also investing in Pike. Does Ethan Stoll still have a steak restaurant? Steak? No. <laughs> people, people listening don't see that I spelled that S T A K E. That's why I'm the word master. Talia. Um, they apparently wanted to extend the reach of the brand along the west coast and into Japan, and I didn't know this, but they already have a, a Japanese company at the uh, Chub Centraire International Airport outside Nagoya in central Japan. Uh, there's already a Pike Pub there. Um, Charles Finkel is still involved, and Drew Gillespie, who's the president and CEO, is still involved. Um, this apparently was talked about before it was starting to be talked about before uh, Roseanne passed away. Uh-huh. So it was, it was in the works, but the, it, they got really serious after that. Charles is 77, and, and he always said he wanted it to be a brewery, a 100-year brewery. He wanted it to go on and on. Uh-huh. Um, so I think they're just making sure it's going to, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So. Uh, best of luck to him. Yeah. And I hope he... When they have, you know, like an opening on a new franchise, he shows up with a jetpack on. <laughs> That's how he's getting to Japan, actually. I, I left out that part. Anyone who has not seen Charles wearing a jetpack, he has a jetpack that is uh, filled with beer, and he can fill up your glass as he walks around the room. Yeah. So. you got to love that. All righty, that's the news bites, right? Yeah, that's it. Okay, we're going to take a little break and come back. We've got a special guest in-house. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... 
Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com. Hi, this is Nathan Decker from Zillow, Washington. If you're ever in the area, you should stop by El Portan, located uh, at the exit in Zilla. It's a great Mexican restaurant. Hey, this is Chris Cashman from Take 5 on King 5, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams. And we are in the Test Kitchen studio with Eddie running all the controls today. Taylor took the day off. Anyways, um, a couple months ago, Connie and I went down Queen Anne Avenue and uh, enjoyed a delicious dinner, probably our best dinner ever at the Paragon. And, of course, when that happens... We have to hunt down the chef. So, Connie, tell us about our guest today. Well, I'll talk to him like he's not looking me in the face right now. <laughs> Stefan is um, a, <laughs> a former ballet principal um, who decided, like most people, that you can't do that for your entire life mm-hmm. and that he wanted to do something that he was as passionate about as he was about dancing, and that was food. And... Uh, I'm going to kind of, we did a story on him. You can check this out on Seattle Dining. It's in the archive now, but just check out Paragon Seattle or Stefan Borgon, and that will pop up. But um, we will start out a little bit to talk about why food was such a passion and why you decided to become a chef. Yeah, so like you said, I started out as a professional ballet dancer, and I was, that was my passion since I was 10 years old. I was training professionally. Um, 17, got my first job in Germany, moved over to France, became principal dancer. Um, but my whole life, I always kind of knew that I loved dance and I wanted to do as much as I can and give as much as I can to that art form while I was still capable because like a lot of sportier Mm -hmm. things, um, you can't do it forever. And there was a lot of other passions that I had and food was definitely one of them. And so it actually my passion for food started when I was really young. My grandparents, um, I have Italian grandparents that came from Italy. And so they were like always making everything from scratch. Mm. Like, and the food was just delicious. My grandpa would be like growing all the vegetables in the backyard that they would use basically like throughout the spring, summer and fall and then canning everything and, you know, doing all the preserves for the winter. Um, so I was always sort of like surrounded by this food culture that for me seemed so normal and beautiful Mm -hmm. and being able to see things from A to Z. Um, and then when I finally moved over to Europe, I didn't know how to cook at all, basically. (laughs) And suddenly was finding myself in this foreign country, um, not being able to even like make chicken breast that wasn't Edible. Edible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, funny enough, I started actually like getting Martha Stewart 
um, recipes and just sort of following them like to a T and sort of the more I did, the more I learned and the more I realized how much I enjoyed it. And then as my job became more demanding, um, physically, I always found that I needed some kind of outlet and cooking became that thing where I could just come home after a busy day have all of these beautiful ingredients of course like being in the south of france mm. you're just constantly overwhelmed with the most beautiful like uh. vegetables and meats and you know fish that like literally you walk down to the boat and buy from and uh. so i was spoiled in that way um to just have the most beautiful things to work with already and then because of how much i would travel when i was a dancer um one of the things that I would do when I would travel is basically the first thing I would do when I would get anywhere would be look for the best restaurants in that town, in that city or that town or wherever we were. So little did I know I was sort of just having this passion grow and grow within me and excite me. And so when it finally came time to decide what, you know, what I wanted to be when I grew up kind of thing, (laughs) um, going from one passion to the next sort of felt like the natural progression for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I was getting into something that was like very different from just throwing a dinner party at home. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, doing that on a bigger scale is just, is, is what a kitchen is. It's scale. <laughs> you know? Or at least that's the way that I like to think about it. Yeah. Like I want to, you know, I like to make food that, makes people feel good and makes people feel at home and like they're, they're having a good time. Mm -hmm. Like that's the most important thing. And, um, so yeah, that's how I kind of ended up going, going from the stage to the kitchen pretty much. Now you do a lot of things down at the Paragon that are really, they're certainly familiar dishes, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but you do them differently and there's a little bit of magic in them. Where did that come from? I mean, was that because of your time abroad that you saw different things or saw what other people did that was different than here? Or did you just get into spices and herbs? I think um, I had a conversation once with a chef that I was working with about that. And I think um, there's a couple of things. I think a lot of it comes from actually dance because... um, the theatrics of uh. that is really fun for me. Um, and that's something that I loved when I was on stage. And I feel like, you know, food and theater or like restaurants and theaters are very similar in the sense that like you go to this place, you have an experience and you leave. And the only thing that you leave with is a feeling or mm-hmm. a memory or, and like maybe in a kitchen or, you know, in a restaurant, maybe you hopefully leave with a full stomach too. <laughs> maybe some leftovers. <laughs> maybe some leftovers. <laughs> um, so yeah, like creating an experience in a restaurant is, I think a really important thing to do. Um, so I definitely, like you say, like, even though there are familiar things, like, a, you know, we have like a, grilled chicken Caesar salad on the menu right now, which probably a lot of people imagine to come in like a bowl with like the Caesar around and like some little nuggets of chicken on top. Mm -hmm. And 
some Parmesan, but I was like, oh, what if, you know, why is the chicken the garnish? Why can't the salad be the garnish? Why can't we try and I, one day I handed like some chicken breast to one of my cooks and I was like, I want you to pound this out as giant as possible. <laughs> and so we had this giant piece of chicken. And then on top of it is actually, I wanted the salad to almost look like more like the garnish on the salad. Um, or instead of having that be the main thing, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, it's sort of like taking, taking inspiration from that. And like I said, I, I had had a conversation once with a chef of mine and I think something that really helps me is that I'm not, I haven't been doing this for a very long time, so I haven't had a chance to become jaded or set mm-hmm. in my ways. Yeah. Um, so I'm constantly just questioning like, why does this have to be that way? Yeah. Why, why can't we do something else? Why can't I hand you a giant thing, you know, like a giant container of elderberry cider and ask you to make a gravy that's fruity and bright and fresh. And, you know, why does it have to be heavy and gravy? So you you, you don't want to go back to the old Paragon chicken Caesar, the one with all the garlic salt all over it, the dry (laughs) chicken. Right. I've heard so much about that. And funny enough, like a lot of people asked for it, which is why it was like, fine, I'm going to do a chicken Caesar, but I'm going to do it my way. (laughs) And since then, I haven't heard anyone ask for the old old one. one. So that's interesting. Yeah. So that's pretty nice. (laughs) I wonder if they all moved out of town because you refused or, (laughs) (laughs) but mostly they're blocking it out. (laughs) I know. That's the thing. Like there were so many, I guess it's like with any kind of food experience, you know, like people, there's just so many people that love it or hate it or, you know, like the spectrum of pleasure that people get from a restaurant is so diverse that, you know, (laughs) it is. And there's so many places when you've been around for a while and the Paragon's over 20 years old, I mean, it had a long time to build up loyalty and people just think I've had good memories there. That's what I want. And so they get used to it. Right. And then something really good comes along. It's like, Oh, Mm. Oh, okay. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's been really an interesting progression uh, for us to see. And I think um, something that really helped with that was, during the um during this the second time that restaurants kind of shut down um in order to keep my kitchen staff who i really liked working with and i it was such a good team i ended up actually moving to do front of house a little bit mm-hmm. um which is i think when we we met because yeah. i was serving you <laughs> and um yeah and i think that really helped a lot to just sort of like get people to trust us mm-hmm. to know that like i am i'm you know, I'm trying to do something different with this place while respecting what it was. Mm-hmm. And because it, it, I love, I mean, I lived in Europe for my whole adult life. History, being surrounded by history is something that yeah. I just love. So the fact that I ended up in a place that has like, a, like you say, like a 20, I think even like 25 year old yeah. or 25 year history um, makes me feel like that. I, like, I want to respect that and I want to, yeah. I want to cherish that. And I want people to share their memories and I want to, have a place that also grows with people you know a lot of people remember paragon as the place where they would go and party and drink these like five ounce martinis or something (laughs) (laughs) and it was it was a whole and dance on the bar and i was like i love that like we'll do that why not but you can also have like a cute chicken season (laughs) (laughs) you know like you can do it with good food too (laughs) They used to hang a rope from above the bar and have acrobats go and work on the rope and a hoop. And I know, That must have I, been right toward the end, right? Because yeah. that was not 
in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, toward I, the end of the Todd era. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. And I am all for bringing that back. I mean, <laughs> you know, we talk about theatrics, and I like I am all for it. Trust me. I think we're going to have a lot of fun there when it opens back up, yeah. and I'm excited about that. I can hardly wait till bars, the actual bar, opens up. I know. Tom and I, when we go, we, we want to sit at a bar. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more fun to sit and like talk and hear each other and right. and I love I don't know just uh, watching the bar stuff happen and watching people come in and yeah and that's the thing and like you know bartenders are often they're so talented in how they work and how they move around yeah. that space and they can sort of stay like confined in this one spot and just go yeah. like da, 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 da. and it's really fun to watch so yeah we're excited we've got uh, we've got some really fun bartenders that are just yeah. like waiting in the wings oh, gosh ready to do their thing. And I'm super excited about that because I think that's going to be a really, really exciting yeah. thing to bring That back. was one of my questions for you today was um, what's going on with the beverage program? Because always since since Kim and Eric have had it, hmm. uh, they've done really kind of interesting cocktails. They, yeah. you know, So I don't know if you have a lot to do with that side of things. or I have. I think like the most significant change that I made to the beverage program was bringing in um, natural wines. Yeah. Um, I love them. I think when I was starting to learn about wines, I sort of started with natural wines because even though they're like called natural wines, it's sort of like, that's, that's just how wine should be made. Yeah. You know, like if you're a good farmer and if you know how to like tend to those vines and keep everything like the soil rich and healthy, you shouldn't need to add chemicals and you shouldn't need to bring in all of these like crazy foreign yeasts um in order to make something that's good yeah <laughs> so um yeah that's how i kind of started to learn about wines i also my first job out of cooking school was actually working on a biodynamic vineyard um so i was really like firsthand learning about all the things that need to be done in order to keep the keep the vines happy and yeah. healthy and, and producing. Yeah. And not without chemicals, you know? Yeah. So yeah, when I joined Paragon, that was kind of something I really insisted on. Um, especially like it's a movement that's growing bigger and bigger. Um, definitely in Europe, it's like, you know, of course you, you have those like big grand vineyards that are always going to do their thing and yeah. they're wonderful. And I'm, you know, it's not like I'll never drink a chemical wine in my life, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, being able to bring that here and to get people excited about it has been really fun. Mm. And then, yeah, like I said, now that we've got, um, Kim is Kim, the owner is, she's like great with creativity and she comes up with some really exciting things already on her own and then just sort of like hands it over to our bar staff who sort of refine it. Oh, um, but yeah, like I said, like we have these, we have some really fun people waiting in the wings, some really creative people, and I'm constantly working with them to challenge them. They're always, you know, bringing a new cocktail to me, and I give it a taste, and I tell them like how it makes me feel, or what it, what I think, or what yeah. I wish it had more of, or less of, or. So yeah, it's very. There's a nice synergy between yeah. sort of the kitchen and the bar. Um, oh, that's which has good. been fun, yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is I know how hard it is right now to get staff, but the staff you have mm. has been great. And I stopped by to pick something up to go one night, mm -hmm. and the guy who brought it out to me was... Uh, I, oh, it was right after the sign had been redone. 
Oh, right. Outside. So I was asking him about that and talking about that. And he said, yeah. And, uh, and we're going to be bringing live music back for brunch. Yes. And you should his eyes were just a light. <laughs> well, I think he's the guy who does the music, he which is. is why he Yeah, was I, so I already know exactly. What <laughs> but he was so excited and he was just, oh, you've got to come to brunch and the brunch is so good, but then we're going to have live music again. Yeah. And it was just like, so that's another thing that's going to come back here. You've already started uh, it on yes, brunch. Yeah, for sure. We've started on brunch and you can just see like the people that join us, their eyes just light up. And you, it's funny how you don't, you know, people don't realize how much they miss something until it's gone, right? And yeah. to have that able to come like be able to come back finally even if it's slowly but surely we're just so excited and uh, same there are artists that are waiting just like and just so excited to get yeah. back on a stage and get in front of people and, and that's another historical thing that you guys are continuing because yeah. paragon was always known as the place that had local live talent brandy carlisle yeah. played there when she was you know starting out and yeah so it's like you know that's another continuation of tradition yeah exactly and it's something very specific to us and something unique that we have on mm -hmm. queen anne hill um and it's worth nourishing i have to say too as a resident of queen anne hill when you're out walking around on a summer night and those windows mm -hmm. on the front of paragon are wide open and there's somebody playing mm -hmm. There's something, it is sort of European, actually. It's yeah. just like you're walking down the street and there's music floating yeah. in the air. It's just, yeah, it's really it's, cool, even if you're not inside. Yeah, it's so nice. I mean, for us even, just like when I sort of sneak out from the kitchen just to listen to them, like I'll, I'll go and just stand at the bar and listen yeah. <laughs> because like, <laughs> yeah, it's so, so nice and so wonderful. And yeah, I'm excited for that. Like music really does bring people together yeah. and food brings people together. So yeah. the, you know, harmonize, I like putting those two things together. Just, it's going to be great. <laughs> you know, we talked about natural wine, but you're also very into organic and sustainable and things like that as much mm -hmm. as possible when, you know, when you're doing your menu. Yeah. So what's coming up for spring and. Um, yeah, on the We're in spring. We are, yeah. Well, I am excited because very soon, next week, I think it is, yeah, the Queen Anne Market is going to be back. Yes. And that's where, I mean, when I first joined Paragon, I was sort of like, the hardest thing I found about the job was actually sourcing ingredients because I'm so used to in the south of France and we were, again, we were totally spoiled, but being able to go to markets and just see what's fresh, see what's in season and just sort of pick through that. And, yeah. um, so yeah, when I joined and I found out that the, the market was just down the street, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this and is so, so yeah, I'm able to do that again. So yeah, I, there's, um, yeah, there's, I'm actually like just excited for that to open up. And I think that's going to be sort of the thing that guides me into where the menu is going to yeah. go for the spring and summer. Um, there's a few things I'm already anticipating and actually one of the most exciting things that I think Paragon is going to be doing through the summer is I'm actually launching a little sort of like pop-up within the restaurant. Mm. Um, it's called Picnic, which is picnic in French. <laughs> and yeah, I went out and bought um, a whole bunch of vintage picnic baskets and I'm working together with another chef and we're creating a sort of like 
really beautiful, almost like picnic chic menu just to elevate that because, and people will be able to come into the restaurant if they want to rent a basket from us, they can fill it up with all of these fun, like kind of gourmet sandwiches or just like really beautiful little, you know, picnicky things and take it to a park and enjoy that for the day. Um, so that I'm super excited oh, about. That's, um, that's yeah, fun. and I've been working on it already for a while, and it's really coming together. So, I'm, oh, so yeah, fun. I think that's going to be a really fun thing for Paragon. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if you pick up your picnic basket in the afternoon, go have a great picnic, come back, drop off your basket, and then suddenly there's live music. Yes. You know, might as well hang out for another exactly. drink and listen to it and enjoy that. Exactly. So, yeah. you, you've come up with some other things I want to talk about, too. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk more about that. All right. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. My name is Christina and I live in Redmond, Washington. One of my favorite places to go in Seattle is La Toulouse Petite. And it's so amazing for Cajun. It's just amazing and they have tapas and drinks and you can be there for hours and it's amazing. This is John Langley, food and beverage director at the Sound Hotel and Current Bistro in Belltown. And you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Back on the Seattle Dining Show, Chef Stefan from the Paragon is in the house, and we're going to continue our interview that he's doing with Connie right now. So I want to follow up on two things we were talking about. In terms of organic and sustainability stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of what you get at the market, the Queen Anne Farmer's Market, can be organic. Oh, Some yeah. of it's not, so yeah. it just depends on... I know a lot of people say, you know, I get what I can. Right. So you can't always count on getting the volume you need when things that's are going. A, yeah, that's exactly it. I think like being organic and sustainable in the restaurant industry is definitely a challenge. Um, we like we do our best. Um, the challenge can sometimes be the supply. The challenge can also be the cost, um, yeah. unfortunately. And so I try my best to balance that out and do what I can. Um, sustainability wise, actually, we've just, um, I've started doing like sort of like a fish and chips on the menu. Um, but I got in touch with a fishmonger and wanted to talk about what's local, what's sustainable and what would make really good fish and (laughs) chips, to be honest. And, um, so he, I, and that came from actually watching, I don't know if you saw that on, I think it's on Netflix, the Seaspiracy and just like oh. everything. <laughs> yeah. We just watched, we watched it. it. Oh my gosh. Everything Scare we're doing to that up. poor ocean. So I yeah. Trust anybody. I know. <laughs> so I talked to him about that and he was like, I've already been doing a lot of work on sustainability even before it's become a fad yeah. basically. Um, and so working together with him has been really fun and yeah so i have i I, you know i'm proud to be able to say at least i have one item 
that is sustainably conscious, I oh, guess, excellent. on the menu. And we do make a point of letting people know that. Um, because, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think, like, it's probably going to become less and less of a challenge to get that way because it feels like everybody's going in that direction. Yeah. Farm, like the farmers and the mm-hmm. everything. And if everyone's asking them for it, exactly. they're going to turn and do it. And it's expensive for them. Mm. I, I mean, think it's expensive at the beginning, maybe, yeah. for them. But, um, which I understand is a challenge in itself. Um, but again, like, you know, people have been farming and doing things since the beginning of humans and they seem to do it just fine without chemicals. And honestly, if you know what you're doing, if you know how to keep soil healthy, Mm -hmm. then you don't need to be adding all those things. Um, even this morning I'm, I was talking, I was, I, I'm the like head of my gardening committee in my (laughs) co-op and I suddenly got an email and they were like, we have aphids on the, um, roses. And I was like, it's fine. We need to get like, you know, I'm going to spray some lavender on it. That'll help already. And I was like, the thing is like, um, plants, soil is sort of like a human immune system. If your immune system is down, so if the soil is down, you're going to extract viruses Mm -hmm. or bugs. And, but if your immune system is like boosted and healthy and working, if like bugs, bugs and viruses are not going to be attracted to it. And so I think that's interesting. Yeah. That applies so well to farming and, um, I think once people kind of like get back into it or mm-hmm. touch back into like the old ways of doing it, <laughs> then hopefully that'll help to make that more sustainable for the farmers and then make it less costly for yeah. restaurateurs. Yeah. Hmm. You were also talking about the picnique mm-hmm. and I, and you said you were working with another chef within Paragon or are you kind of partnering with somebody outside? I'm partnering with somebody outside actually. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think she's the, she's actually the sous chef at Smith in Capitol mm-hmm. Hill. Um, I went there once for brunch and, um, the food was really delicious, really wonderful. And, um, she sent out something very specific to her, what she created there. And it was wonderful. It was oh. sort of this like funnel cakey kind of thing. And, with like a berry coulis and it was just so good. And one of our bartenders was also working as a bartender there at the time. And he talked her up a lot. So we sort of met up and I was like, I'm looking for someone to share this project with me. And, and yeah, she got totally on board. Yeah. So it's been like a really fun to collaborate with someone. Yeah. You know, uh, just recently it was probably around mother's day, I think, cause it was, something I read that Jen had sent out from Eden Hill. And Max and the other chef, Jesse something, I think, Mm -hmm. um, was not somebody I was familiar with, but they were putting together a Mother's Day thing. Oh, right. So I think that for chefs, especially in this time of craziness, to be able to collaborate maybe helps bring out that creativity in you too. You start you know, yeah. bouncing ideas off each other. And- no, for sure. And nobody is the best at anything. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like the more the the more input you have, the better it is. And that's that's basically how I run the kitchen at Paragon also. I came in and I was like, I don't have an ego and I don't have a ton of experience. But what I do have is creativity and what I do welcome is other people's opinions. And because... People don't get into food because 
I don't know, because they're forced. It's like, you need to have a certain <laughs> amount of passion for this thing in order to do it because it's not easy. Yeah. Um, and I want to, I like that I'm able to nourish other people's passions in the kitchen and it doesn't matter what your title is or what your role is in the kitchen. Like I love being able to ask, you know, one of my line cooks to suddenly like come up with a new dish for the restaurant, yeah. come up with a new side that we can add, or maybe a little starter or something, or yeah. let's talk about this thing. Let's, you know, what inspires you? What do you like to cook? What do you like to do? And so being able to, yeah, collaborate with people, yeah. I think is the healthiest way yeah. to work. Well, and like you said, it's not easy work. So if you can make it a team sport, yeah. you know, and have fun yeah, doing exactly. it, then it's, Going to work yeah. can be such a joy instead of, oh, God. No, for sure. And people, you know, you get, what is that? You get, you can catch more bees with honey kind of oh, yeah. thing also. So creating yeah. an atmosphere that's, you know, enjoyable is going to make people want to be more creative yeah. and want to be inspired. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah. And that's our ad for there are positions open at Paragon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everywhere else in the city. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um. I was going to talk with you, too, about the curbside dining. You, you guys did put out how many spaces? Four? You've we have four. Four outside. Yeah. And they're actually really, they look so cozy. I haven't eaten out there, mm. but they look really cozy. There's plants. There's live plants. Yeah. Kim and I both share a passion for estate sales and <laughs> grandma's house, basically. And so, yeah, Every time I would go out there, I would see like a new little like statuette appear <laughs> and a new hanging plant or a new vine. And it, they're, it's great. I love it. Uh, yeah. So it's been fun having those. Yeah. And yeah. people seem to really like it. People love it. And actually what's kind of inspired us, um, because of that, we've sort of felt inspired now that the dining room is opening up to sort of bring that feeling inside oh. because it's something that people have really reacted well to and they mm-hmm. love that coziness and the botanical side of everything. And so we're going to be sort of oh, like introducing good. that into the restaurant. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah. Because I think that's what, for a lot of people, that's the only experience they've had at Paragon. So, which is just like being able to sit outside and eat and they've kind of become accustomed to that feeling and that, yeah. the cozy atmosphere that we've created yeah. out there. So yeah, being able to bring that inside is going to be a really, nice way to sort of welcome all those people in. Yeah. I think it'll, it'll warm it up a little too. When they first did it and they did those dark walls, mm. I was not crazy about it. Right. Now, the last time I was in, when we came down the first time, there are so many pictures up on the walls and mm-hmm. it's not so blank. Yeah. And it, and it was so much warmer. Right. And I was like, okay, they did know what they were doing with that paint color. Yeah. But now to bring the plants in and things, I yeah. think that would and, really be. Yeah, and stay tuned. The paint color may be changing. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I might even be happier. Yeah. No, we have some We have some really fun ideas for the space. Um, yeah. I think before, like right when the pandemic hit, the restaurant was feeling already like they were struggling a little bit just to find their feet. And, mm-hmm. um, since, since I joined, we've just been as a team, I've been working so much together to, you know, make that, make that a new place that people are excited about. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said, while respecting the the history of it, of it. And we kind of have come to a point where it's like, we're all new, we're all fresh in the space and we want to sort of now build it the way that sort of the menu is being built because yeah. the menu really defines 
so much about a restaurant, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to try and, yeah, like I said, like bring all of that into the space and that is lighten it up great. a little bit. Yeah. Well, we've, we've talked to Kim about this too, but you know, she was struggling to find the right person for the kitchen and everything. Mm-hmm. And clearly she has finally made the right decision. Yeah, no, so, I mean, uh, we make a, we make a great team together. Yeah. She has a lot of really good input and a lot of really good ideas, and especially around food. And she's excited and her excitement is intoxicating in the best way, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are extremely glad you're there <laughs> and that Paragon is back <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being here today. We yeah, so appreciate you. it. No, I appreciate it too. Thanks and we're so going to have you stick around and do some tips with us at the end. And I encourage all the listeners to get online, take a look at the current Paragon menu, <laughs> and uh, by all means, go down and experience it. It's uh, it's just it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we've got some tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... B&E Meats and Seafood, your neighborhood butcher with four locations to serve you in Des Moines, Berrien, Newcastle, and the top of Queen Anne Hill. Unique products, great meats, the freshest seafood, and a knowledgeable, friendly staff make shopping at B&E Meats and Seafood the best choice. Hi, I'm Tabitha from Walla Walla, and when I'm in Seattle, I love to dine at Terra Plata because Tamara Murphy is awesome. Hi, this is Chris Upchurch from DeLille Cellars and Upchurch Vineyard, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the front of the house. And it's time for our tips and tricks segment. But we thought, hey, we got a pro in the room here from the interview. We're going to keep him here. And we're going to have him share one of his tips as well. So uh, mine's the dumbest. So I'm going to start off with the (laughs) first one. And I see a lot of recipes where you're supposed to do an egg wash. And, you know, dip the chicken into the egg whites and then put it into a flour and and this sort of thing. And, and, you know, be careful not to let the flour clump up on your fingers too much, blah, blah, blah. I never see a recipe that says, using tongs, (laughs) put your chicken in the flour, then put it in the egg wash and put it in the flour. I never see that. And uh, I don't know how many how many how many pairs of tongs, Stefan, have you got in your kitchen <laughs> at home? How many pairs of tongs? Um, one, actually. Really? I do. Yeah. You use your I fingers. D- but I, yeah. You know what's really funny is I literally just before this interview was doing that at work, <laughs> but I didn't use tongs. The way we do it is one hand I know, dry one and one hand be- wet. Oh, yeah. I know. Okay. <laughs> I just find it but, easier to go with a set of tongs and just yeah. rinse them every once in a while. I mean, that makes so much sense. Thank you for that tip. <laughs> See, that's not a dumb tip. <laughs> How many tongs do you have here in your, in your test kitchen? Uh, personally, I've purchased one, and then when you were clearing out your kitchen and getting the exact things you wanted, I took one or two of the really long tongs. Uh-huh. Mm. So I've got probably three. Oh, good one. But... I have about five at my house. Wow. i got a couple shorties and... 
a medium and yeah, a couple got, of long ones. You've got one that's about five inches long, which is kind of handy. Yeah, oh, that's the little Tavolo ones. Yeah. yeah. Chopsticks are also great. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Really fun way. Like I, Except I'd probably drop them. Yeah, I sometimes will cook with chopsticks when I don't, when I also have to wash up afterwards. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I only have one tool to deal with. And um, it's small. <laughs> yeah, and they can be small. So you use the two hands, you stab with the left and put it in, and then you <laughs> right. stab with the right. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm like ambidextrous, so I can uh. sometimes do both hands, uh. with them, which is very useful. <laughs> you are meant for the kitchen. Right, I try, I try. So anyways, that was my tip. What are you going for a tip today? Um, gosh, my tip is actually... I have like a tip about food waste mm. um, because being at home, being in a kitchen, being anywhere, food waste is always an issue. And the, my best tip is keep a little Ziploc bag in your freezer and anytime you're cooking, anything that's left over, instead of throwing it directly into the food waste bucket, throw it into your Ziploc bag in the freezer. So I'll throw like the ends of carrots, I'll throw the skins of onion, I'll throw, you know, the stalks of parsley after I've picked it off. Um, but not eggshells. Not eggshells. Yeah. Um, eggshells, actually, if you make home, kombucha at home, eggshells are a good thing to add mm-hmm. to Ooh. your kombucha because it helps to actually make it a little bubblier. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, so yeah, what I'll do is I will basically just keep a bag in the freezer, even like chicken bones, these bones, that bones, whatever. And once that baggie gets a little bit full, throw it all into a pot with some water, simmer it down. And suddenly you've got this like beautiful, um, stock at home that you can then use oh. for anything. You can blend something and make a soup. You can now, use do you a, put in some base items when you do that? Like, do you put a whole carrot in and a whole celery? And, and honestly, no. I will what, just just whatever is in enough. the fridge. Just whatever is in that bag. Yeah, get one of those good big sturdy Ziploc yeah, bags. Gallon thing. And yeah, and just fill it up with whatever. And honestly, you as it cooks down, give it a taste you'll see the direction that it's going in and that can sometimes inspire you. Like if it's something fresher, you might want to use it for like a spring pea risotto. And if it's something a little bit deeper and heartier, you know, you might want to go for like a really nice, good chicken soup or kind of thing. Or, um, so yeah, keep all those things. They are good. And if there's a little bit of dirt on it, if it's organic dirt, keep it in that pot too because there are nutrients in there <laughs> yeah. uh-oh so this is, this comes from living in france right yeah this just i mean this comes from living in france and also just feeling like hey all of this is really useful why am i throwing out so much stuff yeah i think at home um my husband and i really make an effort to have as little waste as possible. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we do that. And in the kitchen, it's the same in the kitchen. I'll just say that we do not, we do wash all the dirt off. So, so um, that is very important. Um, but we do have like a nice big container in our walk-in refrigerator that we sort of throw stuff into. And that was the, that was the base for the soup that we did the whole winter, um, which actually was one of the most popular items wow. on our menu, yeah. Huh. So I have a little stock addition to that. Mm. Uh, I have a new cat at home, and 
I'm getting not a, throw the fur in. Please <laughs> tell me. <laughs> I'm getting about a half a cup of water into him a day, but summer's coming, and he's going to dehydrate, and he's not really into regular water. Yes. So the trick that I learned yesterday was you just add in a little bit of chicken stock, turkey stock, whatever. Absolutely. So I make my own stocks at home, and I have ice cubes of them. So now in the morning when I get up, I pour in a cup of water, and then I add in an ice cube of the turkey oh, stock. Yeah. And that becomes his water for the day. And and hopefully I'll get him to – I just started this a couple of days ago. So yeah. hopefully I'll get him drinking more water now. Yeah. But it's nice savory for him. Hmm. Yeah. That, Interesting. That's a great, idea, a great idea. I've done that with my dog a few times also when he's been like running around and just seems like – too tired to even drink like a little chicken stock definitely <laughs> gets him <laughs> excited him about it from. yeah all right well Cody, the other thing i like you about gotta, you gotta you gotta really uh, I do. come up with something great now oh thanks now it turns out mine's the dumbest tip <laughs> <laughs> i just want to make a point about your tip though that i like because mm. there are other people out there talking about don't waste right but there's a bunch of steps. Like you got to read their book, or you got to do this or that. This is like put it in a bag and then throw it in a pot. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I learned that your freezer is a tool. It's yeah. not like a coffin. You don't yeah. put things in there to freeze and die forever. <laughs> um, use the freezer as a tool. That's what it's there for. You know, yeah. all of that, all of those ends and bits and bobs will stay totally fine in a freezer. If you if you make the stock and you there's just you're not having any luck making it taste good, just give it to your animal. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah or add a, add a few more herbs. Do it. Do what you got to do. Or you know, like a stock is a base of something. Yeah. So once you've got that, you can use it in so many ways and add to it. And yeah, you know, like it's that. endless. All right, my my tip was uh, comes from personal experience. Uh, we've been home, of course, and drinking a lot of wine, mm-hmm. and and so. I've been trying to find less expensive wines. Mm-hmm. And so I get very excited when I see a good deal. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> yes. I got to get this. So what I found though, and we haven't done badly. I haven't had more than a couple that were really gone, mm-hmm. corked or something. Turpentine. Yeah. But I don't look at the vintages. Mm. Like, oh my God, seven ninety nine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 2017. Okay, for a white yeah. Maybe four years is not what I want to be doing. Right. So watch the vintages. Uh, I, I, it's a real training thing. You yeah. know, I look at labels. I see, oh, it's a, oh, it's a red blend. I just love. Well, not so big a deal with rents because mm. it lasts so long. But, you know, I love blends anyway. So white blends are all thinking. I wanted a shard tonight. Oh, shard for such a great deal. Yeah. And then I get home and it's you know a twenty fifteen. Right. And you don't have to throw it away. You know, if it's if it's not good, what you do is is Give pour yourself a glass of wine and grab your tongs and take an ice cube of turkey stock and drop it into the wine. I'm so glad you didn't say give it to my cats. There I thought go. I was a little afraid. Um, yeah, on that note. <laughs> again, I have to say natural wines are oh. another really fun thing. If you... Um, the vintage is obviously is always really important, but what's great about natural wines is that you can buy a bottle of a natural wine. You can open it up, you can pop the cork back in. You know, if it's a red, just like leave it out sitting on your shelf. Mm-hmm. Try it the next day, and because natural wines are chemical free, they are still alive, which means they are constantly living and changing. And you can keep a natural wine open for like a week and taste it every day, and it is going to be. So delicious every day and change every day. Oh wow! Can you tell and us a couple of 
wineries, brands, labels that we should look for if we're going to go shopping for some more I mean, wine? I almost feel like I should say come to Paragon and check out the menu. <laughs> oh, <there you> go. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> we will sell by the bottle. Um, I don't know if I can plug wines in particular. Um, there is one that is my favorite on the menu right now. It's um, an Italian one. Called Le, it's from La Piana Maggiorina, which is delicious. Um, but actually, like a great place to go. There's a couple places in Seattle that are really good for natural wines. My favorite place is Molly's Bottle Shop, which is in Ballard. Mm. She um, Molly is so educated and so passionate about wine, and you can just like talk to her forever about them. Oh, wow. And she has a beautiful range. Of, nice. of natural wines to choose from. Um, another great place, uh, Glinda, which just opened up in Capitol Hill, is another natural wine bar. Great selection. Um, and, yeah, full of really useful information. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely, like, places to yeah. go to find those things. You know, interestingly, <laughs> on uh, Fremont Avenue, going up toward the zoo, there's mm-hmm. a place called Vif, and those people are the ones who bought La Reve. Okay. And I went in to get um, coffee or something the other day, and they have a whole bunch of natural wines in there. <coughs> so, nice. Um, yeah, it, it yeah. really is becoming a thing. Lourcin also has oh. an amazing, amazing wine selection. Oh, okay. Actually, their food is amazing. That should have been my favorite restaurant. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, they have an amazing selection. I will sometimes go there to do my own shopping for wine specifically. I mean, if I can, you know, when they're open, if I can, I used to like, we used to just go and sit at the bar and talk to the sommelier because she was incredibly talented and passionate and just got to taste a whole bunch of stuff like that. Um, so yeah, Lourcin is also just a great place and the, the prices vary quite extremely. So it's like you have the whole like spectrum of prices for wines and stuff. And they're more than happy to help you out with whatever sort of budget you have. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Are we wrapping up? I think we're wrapped up there. I'm sorry. The show's ending. It's been extremely fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So thank you for joining us, Steph. And thank thank all of you who are listening. And if you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just head out to, SeattleDining.com and click on subscribe free. Dine well. Dine often and dine safe. We'll see you in July. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine, online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the seattle dining show